extraordinary steps to try and stop the spread of the coronavirus. Une mesure réclamée depuis plusieurs jours par le corps médical. Dobbiamo rinunciare tutti a qualcosa per il bene dell'Italia. Greetings from Tokyo. Hello. Wow, Matthew, it's great to uh, hear your voice. It's great to uh, still be alive. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, it's... Uh... It is one of those things. Uh, yeah, I think the last time you and I, we send little notes uh, here and there back and forth to each other virtually, but with voices, we probably haven't spoken maybe in almost a year. Is that possible? Wow, that is possible, yes. Yeah. Um, a, lot, and, a lot has happened since uh, then. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and there's the a lot that has happened, I think, in your life. Uh, and in, in your situation. And then there's the a lot that has happened also in the world around both of us. Um, and uh, and these two things seem to be colliding, uh, which is part of what we want to talk about. T to put things in context, ladies and gentlemen, listening wherever you are, let's see, what's today's date, Matthew? It's, it's March. I know that. It is March um, over here. Uh, Tuesday, 17th of March, 2020. That sounds quite good, doesn't it? 2020. Yeah, sounds very futuristic. <laughs> we must be very advanced. Uh, and you're in Tokyo, and I'm here in Amsterdam, and uh, we are both... Are you in some form of... Well, is Tokyo in some form of lockdown? Because you yourself are in a different kind of lockdown, I think. Uh, sure. So, yeah, that's a very interesting question. Um is Tokyo in some form of lockdown? Sort I, of. <laughs> yeah, because I've seen people walking around and, and I get these regular photos on the uh, social media from friends there of what the uh, 7-Eleven looks like inside today. And, uh, you know, it's these constant updates about there's no toilet paper. Where does it all go? It arrives each morning <laughs> and then it's gone. Uh, <laughs> so I yeah, know people the, are out there. Yeah, I mean, the, the toilet paper issue is is a particular note i think it is is definitely worth talking about that so um yeah what happened is when coronavirus was sort of uh appeared in japan um and i believe it was it was via the cruise ship um right. well it was it was would have you know would have got into japan through through several routes one of which was the infamous diamond princess cruise ship which was um, moored in uh, Yokohama Bay, hmm. and there were cases of coronavirus on that. And of course, we, you know, we frequently have people going back and forth between Japan and every other country in the world. Um, so, yeah, when coronavirus appeared in Japan, like the other countries, in the first sort of few weeks, there was the possibility Possibility of containment, I think, is, is fair to say. Um, I'm not sure how great the possibility was, but yeah, the idea was sort of, you know, can, can it be contained? Is it just going to fizzle out in a few weeks? And when it became clear that wasn't the case, um, then the government recommended that uh, all the government-run schools shut. Um which was 
quite controversial in Japan. Um, it was, I think, it was only a couple of weeks before the, um, I guess, spring vacation okay. started. Anyway, so essentially, they were saying, for the time being, kids would get an extra two weeks vacation. Yeah. Um, but the, but this is an issue. This is certainly an issue because of, of course, working parents and you know, uh, lack of childcare in Japan as as you know, been a big issue of recent times and big events were being cancelled. Small events were being cancelled. Um, doctors were saying, you know, it was a bit of an overreaction to be cancelling small events at such an early stage. Um, people were being <clears throat> recommended to work from home, mm-hmm. which is um, a very new thing for Japan. <laughs> <laughs> um japan you know japan particularly tokyo you know i think i think in tokyo the average worker in tokyo has has a 90 minute commute every day so it's a very big deal you know you've experienced the horrific Ugh. trains in in during rush hour um i still list it as my top all-time thing or the top three things that i've really disliked in my life rush hour <laughs> in tokyo 5, 6 p.m., 7 p.m. These, this is, I'll give you any information that I've been hiding. This is my, this is torture to me. <laughs> yeah. When, when you're on those commuter lines during rush hour, um, it is, it is nightmarish. And that's, that's a regular thing for many, many, many workers in Tokyo. So the idea of working from home is, is, you know, alien, but potentially very interesting. Which is interesting because I wonder how many of those jobs, I mean, we're talking about corporate right? Salary person. Do they say salary person yet? They should. Salary man, jobs. <laughs> and um, and I wonder how many of those could they have actually done at home all this time, but it's just, what, a tradition to go into work. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what that may potentially be something good that comes out of all of this. Mm. <laughs> will be Japanese companies learn it's, you know, it, it works quite well to have workers at home. It, you know, Japan has lightning fast broadband internet access pretty much everywhere. Um, so the first kind of, so I, I guess, yeah, the first real effects of coronavirus were here were the schools closing and then the toilet paper thing and the toilet paper thing was, <laughs> was paper really number two. Because, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, it's, it's really interesting because what happened with, you know, the, the reason that we had the toilet paper shortages was a rumor went around on social media that there would be a toilet paper shortage. And the reasoning behind this was that the, the post being shared on social media said, there's already a shortage of these paper face masks and the paper face masks are made with the same raw material <laughs> as this toilet paper. Uh-huh. And the, you know, the factories in China that make the masks and the toilet paper and process these raw materials, they're getting closed down due to coronavirus. So there's going to be a toilet paper shortage. Now, n- none, none of this is true. So <laughs> the, the toilet paper is made from a different, type of paper pulp than those sort of cloth papery masks. Um, wow. The toilet paper in Japan is made in Japan, huh. 90% of it. All right. Very interesting fact. Not an imported <laughs> resource. Okay. It's not an imported resource. Um, 
But of course, this caused a temporary shortage with everyone rushing to the to the stores to stock up on toilet paper every morning. Allegedly, from what I've seen. Well, so 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 today was the first day for a couple of weeks when I saw toilet paper in the store in the evening. So what would happen was, you know, there'd be signs up saying one package of toilet paper per person and it would sell out around midday or whatever. And of course, the, you know, the cheaper brands would sell out in, in the first sort of hour or something. And, <laughs> Could still and get six by, ply. <laughs> you, you know, yeah, exactly. So so later on, there's the, the sort of, you know, luxury quilted scented stuff that um yeah you wouldn't usually want to buy but if you're desperate um but yeah today in my local store local pharmacy you know wow uh, this evening still stacks of toilet paper outside and all this in a country that i bet if we did a little research the use of toilet paper per household is probably some of the lowest in the world and i only say this because the toilet does so much of cleaning of humans uh, already <laughs> <laughs> quite, quite, quite possibly. Um, and, but, but also, you know, Japan has very, very efficient supply chain management all across Japan. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's incredible. You can, you know, send stuff all over Japan, same day delivery, um, for, you know, very, very low fee. So, um, but, but it, it is an interesting kind of measure of people's feeling, I guess. Um, the whole coronavirus thing in you know in Japan is you know like everyone in the world it it reveals things about society it reveals things about um, at where a nation's priorities have been um, you know Japan has been preparing for coronavirus for decades and decades and decades uh-huh. um, Japan is you know is is ready for for this kind of thing because. Of, of the constant threat of, of big earthquakes, you know, the, the Japanese healthcare system has to be able to deal with thousands of people, you know, suddenly hitting the hospitals. Now that hasn't happened, but the system is set up very much set up for that. So um, that's been kind of interesting that the sort of the calmness when you talk to doctors here, um, they're sort of, uh, yeah, you know, in the media, there's all around the world. There's been people are concerned that health professionals seem very sort of cold or aloof mm-hmm. about this sort of thing. Um, but you know, on, on the other hand, um, in countries like Japan, you know, we have. I mean, just last year there were serious typhoons where you know an extensive flooding. You know, people killed in landslides. So. Natural disasters are, are a constant threat in Japan, so people are ready for this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I think it's also interesting. I mean, if we look at, uh, I'm here in the Netherlands. This has become, I, I don't know. It's ramped up now. The last four, four or five days, now the prime minister regularly makes updates and uh, tightens the the policy heading towards maybe lockdown, I don't know. Um, But now, you know, for example, bars and cafes are closed. And in this country, that's a huge blow. People still uh, live off the idea that they can go to any bar. And and they were there up till Saturday night 
they were still this Saturday night, despite everything we know, uh, there were still people filling uh, bars. And to me, it reminds me of the power of belief. Same thing with the people in Japan about the story about the shortage. If you believe it, doesn't matter if it's true. If it feels possible or true, then you you act. And we, we really have always had this, but now more so than ever, the power of belief uh, more than anything else will will drive people to to act or not act, stay home if they believe that this staying home strategy is necessary and is good. So this is this battle to try and in some cases convince people uh, to to support this idea of you shouldn't just keep going out like nothing is wrong. But uh, there are all these other people that think, oh, let's just, uh, nah, it won't happen to me. That classic kind of thing or, or you know, yeah. Or people yeah, are overreacting, think, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, there's there's two quite, um, you know, what, yeah, one is um, let's not let this interrupt our life. Let's overcome it by doing, you know, carrying on life as normal. And there's the other view of let's not let this, you know, cause lots of damage to our society. Let's take measures now yeah. and hopefully prevent things getting more serious. Um, you know, and, and yeah, I, I just saw someone pointing out this very thing on, on Twitter that sort of in certain countries, there's a sort of the attitude of resilience is um, a bit like, let's not let the terrorists win. Right. I'm going to keep going and drinking in the bar. Yeah. And in other countries, there's the resilience of let's be sensible and do what needs to be done, even if that's quite inconvenient, sitting at home a lot when I like to be out. Uh, so, it's, you know, you can sort of, yeah, I, I, obviously, in, you know, in my case, I say let's be sensible and act sensibly. <laughs> yeah. And we need to get into your, your case. Uh, but, but before we do, by the way, I was watching the Democratic debate last night. No, today, the debates from last night. Because just curious, you know, it's just two candidates, and um, not a surprise, but I hadn't heard it yet. Where Biden says, uh, "Oh, by the way, uh, ladies and gentlemen, in the future, at this time in history, Joe Biden, former vice president, and uh, Bernie Sanders are the two possible candidates to to go up against Donald Trump." If you're listening into the future, this was a big deal back in our time. Uh, <laughs> anyways, so so Biden said, "We're at war with Corona. We're at war," and they really started using these war terms. Um, and for some reason, this still works in the United States as a sort of some kind of motivator, although I, I don't know how well it works. We know some other wars, uh, such as the war on drugs that didn't really didn't really work <laughs> out. Um, but they insist on this kind of terminology, right? We are at war. And, and Bernie Sanders didn't even argue because he knows that in the United States, this is you can't you can't argue. You know, it's, there's only a small population that would say, let's not use the word war. But yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, that you know, there's there's obviously a very big issue if if that instills the attitude of, of defiance. You know, let's 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 show this coronavirus who's boss. <laughs> We're gonna, you know, I mean, what Party. was it George Bush said after sem September? Go 11th, shopping. You know, go shopping. <laughs> get to the shopping malls. Get to Disneyland. Let's show these terrorists. You know. Yes, <laughs> we we can't be beaten. Um, that doesn't work for a virus because it's not you know, a virus doesn't understand about Disneyland and <laughs> shopping malls. It's not it's not that type of life form. Yeah.
Matthew, you've been on the podcast many times over the past, are we at three years now or am I going too far? Since it is you, yeah. three and a half years now. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in July, it will be four years. Um, yeah. Which is incredible because, you know, three and a half years ago, diagnosed with terminal cancer, reasonable life expectancy was maybe seven to nine months with, with good treatment. Um, that was, uh, yeah, coming up to four years ago. So, yeah. And, and, and so, you know, because of these circumstances, you've already had, a uh, the last three and a half years where you are, well, your activities are limited, right? Your, 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 your home, so, your, your so, hospital. <laughs> yeah. And, but, all, but, and, but then also that, you know, there's the decision to homeschool my son. Yeah. Okay. Right. Which is, you know, it's just a really interesting context of schools being closed in Japan. Um, you know, parents are wondering, like, how, you know, how on earth do you spend all this time with your children? Yes. <laughs> and, of course, for me, you. life continues as normal. So coronavirus, for me, hasn't changed anything, really. Hmm. Although, occasionally, I think I should make an effort to get up early and buy toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. <laughs> and, of course, the other thing, you know, because of being, being a, a cancer patient, I go to hospital, you know, currently once a week I'm going to hospital. So speaking to people in the medical system here, um, my main doctor is an immunotherapist, so he's obviously an expert on viruses <laughs> and the immune system. Um, his background is actually microbiology. He was in a dealing with HIV in Africa. Um, so, you know, he is very, very familiar with epidemics, pandemics, viruses, immune system, all this kind of thing. So it's, it's been very interesting talking to him. Um, and so, our, you know, he sort of speak, obviously speaks to me off, off the record, so I'm not, I'm not going to name him. But, um, okay. yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting talking to him about government response about how things are going to play out and you know one one interesting thing we've seen with you know the combination of coronavirus and social media and poor quality 24-hour news all across the world is that you know you've got this sort of thing of everybody being expert um you have all these you know there was a bizarre um Sort of interview debate thing on uh, British television with um, I think it was a government I don't know it was a professor of um, epidemiology at the London School of Health and Tropical Medicine and the TV company thought the ideal person to sort of debate him would be a Silicon Valley growth hacker marketing guy who had done some crummy you know, uh, modeling on his computer at home in his bed. It's a bit bizarre, absolutely bizarre. These people don't necessarily have any idea what they're talking about at all. They're not necessarily privy to any of, you know, the, the important data. So it doesn't matter how good their models are if they're, you know, so, so with coronavirus particular, and particularly with Japan, in Japan the reported numbers of coronavirus is minuscule right so they're reporting you know a few thousand cases a few hundred deaths 
well, that's because they're doing almost no testing here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. right. If they tested more, they'd they, find more cases. Yeah. yeah. But that's not necessarily a particularly useful thing because it doesn't change their policy. I mean, that their the precautions that they're taking at the moment are as if coronavirus is everywhere here. Yes. You know, they're not they're not they're not sort of saying, oh, we tested a bunch of people in this city, let's put the city on lockdown. Instead, you know, they, they have um taking precautions all over Japan. Um so doing some sort of you know more random testing wouldn't really help. The the media have been reporting test numbers for the different countries as if you can compare those numbers, but there's there's no comparison at all because those countries might be using different tests. They might be testing in different circumstances. Um, there's a very big difference between testing in a medical setting to see if somebody has coronavirus. That's very different from you know testing randomly to try and track the spread of something to make policies either for a whole country or for a region or whatever. So yeah, there's you know there's no comparison. <laughs> so it's it's been very interesting for me to sort of you know once a week I happen to meet an expert on viruses and epidemics now. Obviously, I have to ask him questions about my personal health situation. Um, But yeah, we do do tend to talk about a lot of this stuff too. Um, But you were were already, um, because of the treatment, right? Now, give me a little update on the treatment because I know it as, um, especially the the, the plan initially was a mix of, of course, you're going to have chemotherapy and you also do the immunotherapy uh, in addition, right? Uh, yeah, so... Yeah. Yeah, so go, ahead. go, no, go for it. I'm curious, especially especially like last year, say the end of last year, um, what that routine more or less has been. You say go to the hospital once a week, for example. What do you, what do, you do when you go? Yeah, so, so my approach since the beginning of, of, you know, when I was told I had kind of terminal cancer and when I found out about the different treatments and the different kind of, thinking behind them. Um, my approach has been to have as much treatment as possible, um, as wide a variety of treatments as possible, but always choose treatments that have a low impact on my immune system. Mm. Because it seems to me, and you know, talking to some uh, oncologists, you know, they have this thinking in Japan that, you know, the, the key thing that determines whether you're gonna live a long time with cancer or not is uh, condition of your immune system and your access to new treatments so that's what i've been going for so currently my treatment is uh, low dose chemotherapy sometimes called metronomic chemotherapy so instead of the usual approach to chemotherapy which is where you have a lot of chemotherapy maybe once every two weeks once every three weeks depending on the uh, protocol um with this type of chemotherapy, you're having chemotherapy all the time. So I take chemotherapy tablets every other day. So my body has always got a bit of chemotherapy in. And the thinking behind this is that you are making it difficult for the cancer to grow and spread, but you're also minimizing the impact on the immune system. And 
of course, to, to some extent, lessening the side effects and hopefully the damage that the chemo does to your body as well, as opposed to the traditional approach of chemo where you'll sort of attack the cancer um, with high levels of chemotherapy taken as a, as a drip at hospital. And then the patient has to have sort of two weeks without chemo because it's so toxic. And unfortunately, during the, those two weeks, that's the time when the cancer, you know, can re- respawn, yes. for want of a better word. Mm. So, it's, so it's a different approach. Um, and it's an approach that is backed up by small studies. Um, it's the kind of thing that, at least for the time being, is never going to be a big study of it because there's sadly no economic incentive for it um you know chemotherapy is charged for by the uh, milliliter or microgram or whatever it's not charged by the the treatment so there's no incentive for pharmaceutical companies to pay for research to use less chemotherapy drug they would get less money um now they would argue that you know that's the system they didn't make it and you know if they if they don't pursue things where there's money then they can't do any research that's what they'd argue you know maybe i would see it things differently as a cancer patient but still so yeah so that's my current treatment is um immunotherapy when i can afford it um and low dose chemotherapy every other day and also daily um, off-label drug use. So I'm having a drug called metformin or metformin, and it was originally developed as a diabetes drug. It's a very famous, common diabetes drug. I don't have diabetes, but I'm taking a low dose of it every day because there's strong evidence that it at least helps with um immune system activation yeah so yeah so that's my current treatment and yeah because of that you know i get to uh visit a hospital every week and uh chat to doctors about <laughs> coronavirus and, and and even i mean whether you were going to the hospital once a week or you were doing something else um uh, it strikes me that even though you've you've chosen a strategy that doesn't uh, harm the hopefully doesn't harm the uh, immune system as much. You are still someone who's you're, you're considered someone with a compromised uh, immune system, right? So when you go out, I'm curious. Even to get to the hospital, um, what precautions have you been taking at this point for years, right? Yeah. So um, none is is the short answer. <laughs> no no precautions at all. Okay. Um, and of course, you know when coronavirus kind of you know. When it, when it was clear it was going to be a big deal, first question I said to my uh, my doctor is what you know what precautions should immune compromised people like me take? What precautions should people you know with history of lung trouble or whatever take? Um, and he said none, none at all. He's, what he did say was that um, early diagnosis would be helpful of coronavirus. So he said, if you, you know, if you have symptoms, go and get a test. Um, 
And what's come out in the last few days is now, you know, it, it seems that maybe being immunocompromised is not a risk factor for um, uh, mortality for coronavirus. So um, there's been some stats about, you know, who who dies from coronavirus and it, it seems to skew for um heart problems and circulation problems i think this data is from germany um in the early days of coronavirus in china um the the early deaths were all uh, the patients had um long history of smoking so it's kind of a lot of pre-existing lung damage um presumably that's still you know that hasn't you know that's still a an issue um, so someone who has had um, septicemia or whatever. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I was, I was kind of surprised when my doctor said, don't, you know, no need to do anything special. Um, you know, I, over, over the last few years, I've had coughs, colds, flu. Um, I, I've had pneumonia twice. I had it after both surgeries. So I had, you know, um, and... Yeah, it's um, it's one of those things where you know at the moment with coronavirus, you know ob- obviously people have died, which is tragic. Um, the numbers are you know growing, but still very small. So the it, it's difficult to make um, good you know judgments and inferences on that. Um, Again, going back to the testing thing, um, you know, we don't know at the moment which tests are more accurate because, you know, with with a, a test, you have an issue of the false positive where the test says this person has coronavirus and it turns out they don't. And you have the issue with the false negative where the test said this person doesn't have coronavirus and uh, they do. They do. Yeah. Um, now, I did. I think with the coronavirus testing at the moment, the false um, negatives are more of an issue than false positives. Um, And that's definitely been something we've seen in the media where people have, you know, people said, oh, a patient had coronavirus and got better and they've been reinfected. Um, Maybe reinfection is possible, but at the moment there hasn't been a single real case (laughs) of reinfection that's a, that's almost certainly a case of a false positive test results so a false negative test result so somebody had coronavirus with the symptoms they were tested they got better the test came out negative but they actually still had coronavirus present in their body the you know virus attacked them again later on um and you know You've experienced that. I've experienced that. Almost everyone has experienced that in some kind of, you know, some winters when you had influenza or whatever. You know, you had the flu and got better and then it seemed to come back. Well, you know, that's it, it, it never it never left you. <laughs> um, so it'll be interesting with the new test. So in Japan, the test, um, which I think is the kind of testing that, it's been mainly used around the world are these um, is it P- PMR tests, polymer, polymerase, something. 
tests. I forget the okay. right term. Mm -hmm. But these are DNA tests. So what they do is um, they take a swab from inside your nose, which is very painful. I've, you know, I've had that test before for um, no, no virus, which is, you know, another one of the sort of influenza strains. Um, and they then test that um, for DNA from the virus. Okay, so they're testing a sample for DNA. Mm -hmm. And the issue with that is if you swap someone's nose and you know, there's no coronavirus DNA in there. If the person's had coronavirus and got better, there could still be coronavirus sitting in their lungs. Okay. So they'll come out as a negative. Mm -hmm. um, and you say, oh, look, they're better now. And then later on, they get sick again. And the media report, oh, look, a Japanese woman in Osaka has you know been reinfected. Mm. Um, and you know, that's, yeah, at, at the moment, that doesn't seem to be true. Um, so it'll be interesting now with a different test. Uh, so in Japan, they're just, I think next week they're introducing a different test, which is a blood test. So this test, instead of looking for the virus, the DNA from the virus or, or DNA, RNA fragments from the virus, they're looking for the antibodies um, that would, you know, show that the virus is there. I don't know if that's a better test. Um, one of the things about that test is the result is takes 15 minutes instead of four hours. Um, so, uh, yeah, it will be interesting to see what happens with that. 15 minutes. That'll be great for those drive-through test centers I keep hearing about in the US. The obsession with the drive-through test center is apparently a thing. Yeah, and, and they, they, they've been doing that in Korea. So, you know, so, so South, South Korea had um, very aggressive testing. And one of the consequences of their testing is that they found that their fatality rate was uh, very low. So the media um, in the early days of coronavirus, and still now some media have been saying, um, you know, the, the fatality rate for coronavirus is 3% or something, you know, 30 times higher than um, influenza. Um, when... South Korea has been doing their aggressive testing. They found because you know because you're you're finding a lot more cases, a lot more mild cases, instead of just the severe cases who come into hospital with symptoms. So they found the fatality rate is something like 0.7 percent. Now that's still considerably higher than you know I think uh, influenza is about what 0.1 percent generally. Um, so uh, still high, higher. But um, doesn't look to be the, you know, three, three, four percent thing. Um, another thing I was told is that it's really too early to know about the strains of coronavirus. So currently, the 
you know, there do seem to be two prevalent strains. Um, uh, you know, early on in the media, there was all this talk about viruses mutate very rapidly. So there's going to be, you know, uh, loads of vi- virulent, you know, high, highly virulent strains spreading over the earth. Um, that, I don't know if that is true in general, but for um, the family of coronaviruses, the core of the virus is actually quite stable. Um, so the mutation, you know, is is not as fast as with other viruses, and it would be unusual within one season to see, um, you know, other major strains appearing. So uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll have to, you know, we'll have to see what happens with the uh, with the testing over the next months. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Matthew, let's let's come back to your household um, because you know uh, you were just talking about very interesting, of course, that in a time where people are homeschooling, uh, well, uh, or whatever they're calling it now officially, uh, their kids are not able to go to school, but they're doing it virtually. You've been homeschooling. Um, you're not alone. Uh, uh, your your wife also is part of the homeschooling, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so she she generally teaches my son uh, Japanese. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I I do most of the other stuff really. Yeah, and and so even as a household. Oh, and we, we, we I would like to get into a little bit uh, since the last time we recorded. We have not recorded since um, you discovered a problem with her health, um, and that was now what uh, over the summer? No, that was even before last spring, perhaps. Yeah. So yeah, she was diagnosed with with cancer too. So we are we are a cancer dominated um, household, and um, yeah. So you know, she she goes for her chemotherapy. Um, hers is every three weeks, uh, but but yeah. So you know, there's there's issues of you know when her chemotherapy happens to overlap with my visit to a clinic or whatever. We have you know who's going to look after the kids and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, How do you, I mean, do you manage that just the four of you? Uh, is there a community, neighbors? Um, we, we, yeah, we pretty much, you know, manage it our, ourselves, really. Um, my daughter was at kindergarten, graduated today. Um, mm. <laughs> uh, it's in, in Japan, the academic year begins in April. Um, and yeah, she. So my 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 daughter's going to go to the local elementary school. Um, I'm, I'm hoping she'll sort of quit after a year or something, but we'll, we'll see. All um, right. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and um, and yeah, my son is now eleven. Um, so yeah, it's, so it has has been okay for us. Um, although yeah, you know there there are there are obviously challenges. Um, and yeah, so with 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 the coronavirus, it's just it's just yeah yeah another thing really. Um, hasn't disrupted our lifestyle much because yeah, you know with with the homeschooling and uh, and just interesting to watch it all unfold really. And and what are the uh, I mean, how is it going with the chemotherapy and her uh, her health? Um, yeah, with all with all the with with cancer, you tend to sort of live from test result to test result so um so typically every month you will have um a battery of blood tests and that includes a 
what in the US I think they would call a full count test. So it's sort of testing um, white blood cells, testing the information level, testing your liver function, um, that, that kind of thing. But also as a cancer patient, you're testing these things called tumor markers, which are um, levels of proteins or whatever. And there's a whole sort of family of them, but levels of various things which should correlate to um, either cancer activity or the or what's often called the viability of the cancer. So you measure these things and you hope that it's correlating well and that, you know, your low numbers are a good sign or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then typically every three months you might have some kind of scan. Um, now, because I'm a stage four patient, you know, a terminal patient where the cancer spread, um, I have scans every three months regardless of whether my blood test results are good or not. Um, with my wife with the early stage cancer, um, she doesn't have regular scans. If if she had a, you know, a big uh, spike in the blood test, then you know they they do a scan and uh, see if there was a visible tumor or not. So um, so yeah, so far you know thing, things are okay. Um, my scans have been good recently. Blood test results have been good recently, which is is you know why I'm able to continue with the low dose chemotherapy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so it's, far so good. Yeah. yeah, and it's also handy to not be living in a context where, uh, if the health system is overwhelmed, suddenly I, I suppose I don't know. I guess chemotherapy doesn't always fall into this category, but you always hear it like, "All right, we're going to cut back on." the following services that our hospital uh, offers because we have to deal with uh, the crisis at the moment. And as you've said, yeah, exactly. not the case. So <laughs> being British, that's, you know, the, 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 the two things that have defined healthcare in the UK in my lifetime are waiting lists and what's called health rationing, uh, you know, healthcare rationing. Um, that's just been the norm for me in the UK. You know, uh, there are no waiting lists in Japan. Um, it's not a concept that they seem to have here um, at hospital. There are, you know, I, well, obvious, obvious exception would be transplants, but that's, mm. you know, that's a very different issue. Yeah. Um, but you know, in, so in England, for example, the or in the UK rather, the target for starting chemotherapy after being diagnosed with cancer, the target is ninety days. So the target is that you start within ninety days. Well, it's just that's just insane. <laughs> um, just the idea that someone would say you've got cancer, we can start you on chemotherapy in three months. Um, now, presumably that's, you know, in the vast majority, of vast majority of hospitals all over the UK, you'd hope that you'd be able to start chemotherapy much, much, much sooner than that. Um, but yeah, in, you know, in Japan, if you need surgery, you get sort of booked in, you know, within days or whatever. Um, so, 
you know, it's not like um, it's in the UK um, recently, every winter, um, the NHS, the, the National Health Service there has struggled and they have to um, cancel what they call elective surgery. So, so non-urgent surgery thing, you know. Um, well, yeah, we fortunately don't have that in Japan um, you know, one, one of the one of the stats that has sort of been going around the web in the last couple of weeks is that uh, Japan has I think it's twelve hospital beds per thousand people. Okay. Um, the US and UK both have four beds per thousand people. Um, so that just that alone makes a huge, huge difference in how many people the healthcare system can handle. Um, because you know it's 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 not a threefold difference it's you know 24 difference or whatever because you you hit the threshold of overwhelm much much later if you have 12 beds available for a thousand people you you know you, you often you're just not going to hit the threshold you're just not going to have a big problem <laughs> Whereas when when the the number is very low, it doesn't take much, you know, extra extra strain on the system to have, you know, sick people waiting around in hospital corridors not being treated. Yeah, um, and it you know has a knock on effect of staff having to work longer shifts, staff yeah. not getting the breaks that they need. Um, I know that yeah. here here in the Netherlands, it's something like five or or a little bit less uh, per beds per thousand people, and they did just announce all elective surgeries uh, are I don't know if they're officially canceled, but they're definitely not happening right now. Uh, they're mm. put off. Mm. You are listening to Citizen Reporter at citizenreporter.org. You know, I, I was reading a bit about the modern history of Japan. I was, you know, I was quite surprised that in just in the 1930s, life expectancy in Japan was in in the early early 50, uh, low 50s. Mm. Um, you know, very famous now as being one of the countries for one of the longest life expectancy in the world. It's usually in the top five, uh, you know, globally for life expectancy. Well, in the 1930s, people living into their into their 50s, and yeah, you had you know cholera outbreaks, typhoid ep- epidemics, this kind of thing. Um, it was uh, yeah, it was very very serious. So. Uh, Yes, it's it's also yeah. amazing how much things can change uh, in in a matter of decades. In you know, in countries like Japan, where there's you know, J- Japan is often criticised for having kind of a you know bloated civil service and too much money is unfairly put into infrastructure and it's you know it's non non competitive healthcare system and you know the healthcare system here is very very tightly regulated so the um, the pharmaceutical companies here, um, the price they're allowed to charge to a hospital for drugs, or if it's a, you know a company doing hospital bedding or nurses' uniforms, or whatever, all all those, um, the prices of those products are all set by the Ministry of Health, and you know 
various companies outside of Japan say, you know, this is this is protectionism. It's you know, it's unfair. It's unnecessary. Give us a chance to sell our products in 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 Japan fairly and other things. Well, in situations like this, you say, you know, you suddenly you suddenly think, mm, well, maybe it is, you know, maybe it does have its benefits. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, every, every time you see Japan talked about in in the foreign media. They always mentioned the economy is, you know, the economy is stagnant. Um, you know, there's rampant protectionism, and yeah, maybe maybe those things are true, but that you know that pays for um, yeah the healthcare system. Yes, um, that yeah, and being know, I, I, yeah. and having yeah, that sorry. rare rare thing in our in our lives now. I mean, not that you can have this completely, of course, but having some say over uh, uh, how how things might go including in a crisis um you know it's i don't know for, for me it's that those kind of policies empower japan to a certain extent to handle things uh their way and handle things that they want to be prepared for whereas in some other countries it feels like we don't necessarily have that choice <laughs> yeah yeah no i agree a thousand percent and and you know it it gives Japan the ability to handle in ways that, that I think are, you know, ridiculous, annoying, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but that's what you get, you know, mm-hmm. when when you have this level of infrastructure, you know, in in I mean it, I don't know if you've seen in, in the US people sort of saying um about how train stations are now like subway stations are now being cleaned. And, <laughs> the first time ever. <laughs> yeah. You know, reg- regular clean. Well, you know, I've always thought the level of cleanliness in Japan is just ridiculous. Right. Just, um, right. Right. You know, um, yeah. In Japan, every single winter, if almost any store in Japan, any public building, any office building, in the lobby area, you'll see hand sanitizers and signs saying, "Please, you know, you know, feel you feel, feel free to use our hand sanitizer." And that kind of thing is all, you know, always struck me as, you know, dumb beyond belief. Well, <laughs> yeah. you know, that that's their prerogative, and you know, th- this is this is the result. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? It it seems like um, the the prerogative for our era. Uh, you know, if anybody <laughs> now with everybody trying to catch up, like, let me explain to you how to wash hands. And for, yeah. for, I think well over a decade in Japan, the signs, the common, almost, I was going to say comics showing you how to, uh, wash your hands or. Yeah, ex- exactly. You know, and, and, you know, when you've been over, over here, you know, we, we have remarked on how kind of infantile some of that stuff looks <laughs> and, and how, you know, there's no, there's no, there's no, there's no kind of sense of I don't know, no sense of irony, no kind of uh, I don't know. Yeah, for for like for like a, a cynical Brit, it just it just seems farcical, and yet because they do all that kind of stuff, um, you know, like like with with the closing of the of the schools, um, you know, when they when they closed the schools here early on, at that time, it was definitely an unnecessary. And on the other hand, what it has meant is that they're able to kind of 
you know people are used to stuff but so so i don't know if you if you're familiar with what's happening in the uk but in in the uk there's this this idea that they have to implement um severe measures at the last possible second because the 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 current thinking I'm not sure if this is correct or not but the current thinking in in the uk is that it's you know there'll be a lockdown for the for the long haul and you want to start at the last possible second because you're going to be asking people to remain locked down for quite a while and if you you know th- their thinking is if you implement it early british people will get bored and frustrated quickly and you know um sort of uh, defy the lockdown you know early on and, and the and the concern, and the concern Concern would then be like a you know second peak of coronavirus in the winter, like a rebellion. Um, yeah. yeah. Whereas you know in Japan again, like you and I, you know, we often discuss like the suffer what we would argue is suffocating conformity here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but you know the people here probably will just find a way to just get through things without much complaint without much conflict you know with yeah they'll just have um they, they have this phrase in japanese shogunai like shiketakunai, it means it, it can't be helped hmm. and they'll just get on and do it not questioning whereas you know my 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 reflex action to say is to say this is a bunch of bullshit. I'm not following these rules. Um, <laughs> but you know, yeah. And that, but yeah, I mean that now I probably, you know, probably does have a chilling effect. And I probably do go, go along with the whole right. right. Um And uh, Japan you know, gets, gets to reap the benefits. Yeah. So in interesting times. Right? Yeah. 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 And, and now, yeah. Oh, so over here, it's a very much, it's a, a so-called lockdown and, and, or getting towards that. So everybody is home. And I think a lot of people listening, I wonder what impact this has for podcasting. I'm curious. Um, so what I'd also suggest, Matthew, especially it's, it's one, it's past 1am where you are, but, um, let's, let's do a weekly check-in <laughs> during, during our, yeah, uh, that would probably be fantastic. If we can call it the lockdown check-in, I don't know, but uh, especially we, we haven't discussed uh, more about the sort of economic side, the work side I find really fascinating, and you've already uh, brought us this possibility for what could change in Japan. I'm very interested in this subject, uh, so let's let's do this again, uh, but in the meantime, uh, thanks for doing the podcast and for connecting so quickly my my pleasure it's just so interesting to you know to discuss this sort of thing let's Let's, keep uh, maybe go for next week yeah with pleasure must declare war on this virus. We are in a war and fighting a war. We must act like any wartime government. We're seeing around the world, but at home here in Australia, you mentioned about that we're seeing this in our generation. Nous sommes en guerre. Do whatever it takes to support our economy. 
toute l'action du gouvernement et du Parlement doit être désormais tournée vers le combat contre les publics.